Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I'm your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. Join our mission and help change the conversation because we are all stronger together. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them through education and advocacy. The Good Dog Pod provides dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we have a very fun show today here at the Good Dog Pod. We are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them through education and advocacy. The Good Dog Pod provides dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation, and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, dog breeding practices, and a whole lot more. Subscribe and join our mission to give our dogs the world they deserve. So today we are speaking with Judy Stella, who is Good Dog's Head of Standards and Research, and also Gail Watkins, founder of Avadog. And we're going to be talking about the summer of socialization. Isn't that right, ladies? Yep. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So Judy, I'm going to have you get started and give us, kind of lay the groundwork for us, right? Why is socialization important? What does it mean? What does it entail? And then we're going to talk to Gail to give us some information on specifics. So you go, girl. I'm really excited to be here to announce the launch of Good Dog University powered by Avidog. So this is our new initiative to provide evidence-based, high-quality, continuing education to our good breeder community. And the first course that we are offering is Savvy Socialization, New Thinking on Making Great Puppies into Great Dogs. So this will kick off our summer of socialization, and it's meant to bring awareness to the importance of behavioral health. So today at Good Dog, we've been focused on physical health, especially pre-breeding screening tests for heritable diseases, because we want to be sure that we decrease the risk of producing puppies with inherited health conditions. But that's only part of producing sound puppies that will be lifelong companions and remain in their homes. Behavior is at least, and I would argue, more important to dog welfare and the maintenance I'd agree with you. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. the maintenance of the human-animal bond. And so this is a topic that's really near and dear to me. My graduate studies focused on behavior and animal welfare, and much of my research to date has been focused on animal behavior. I spent a lot of time in veterinary clinics and shelters, and I've seen firsthand the lifelong consequences of behavior problems and how negatively they impact not only dog well-being, but also humans that live with them. So dogs have to be a good family members, right? They have to be good citizens in their communities. And it's well documented that undesirable, abnormal, or nuisance behaviors as perceived by the owners are poorly tolerated. And if they're left untreated, they may become dangerous. So poorly socialized, fearful dogs are at increased risk for biting, rehoming, and relinquishment to shelters, and in some severe cases, euthanasia. 
So just to put this into a little perspective, like how big a problem this is, it's estimated that anywhere between 62 and 90 million dogs live in U.S. households. And those estimates depend on the methodology used to calculate them. And about four and a half million people are bitten each year. These are CDC statistics. 20% of those dog bites require medical attention. Anywhere from 150 to 200,000 children under the age of 14 are bitten each year. And dog bites account for about a third of all homeowner insurance claims. And each claim averages about $37,000 per dog bite. So that's pretty severe. It's pretty significant public health concern and also money out of pocket. Mm-hmm. We have about three and a half million dogs still enter shelters each year, estimated. And of those, about 670,000 are euthanized. And we know that behavior problems are the leading cause of relinquishment to shelters. So as a single factor, it's been reported that 16% of relinquishments are solely because of behavior. And up to 40% of owners relinquishing their dogs cite a behavior problem as a contributing factor. So again, significant number of those dogs have behavior issues. And then euthanasia, unfortunately, is becoming one of the leading causes of death for dogs, for younger dogs in veterinary clinics. And even if the dog isn't euthanized, their welfare can be really compromised, especially if they're fearful or anxious, or if their behavior prevents them from engaging in activities outside the home. So if you have a dog that's dog aggressive or people aggressive, especially unfamiliar people, not likely to take it to the park or take it out for a lot of walks. And that's going to significantly impact their well-being. And then you have to consider that the human that's attached to them also is negatively impacted. If you have to euthanize your dog because of behavior reasons, you're going to feel guilty. And there's a shame associated with that. There's also stress and cost associated with just caring for a dog and managing their behavior problems. So this just illustrates how important behavior is and how it contributes to public health and welfare problems for both dogs and people and the breakdown of that human-animal bond. So preventing behavior problems is a much better and much easier approach than trying to manage them after they've developed. And this is where socialization comes into play. So we have been focused on, say, the 3 to 14 to 16-week age since maybe the 60s, 70s with the publication of Scott and Fuller's seminal work looking at socialization. Right. And basically what we know is that dogs' early environment, both their social and physical environment, affects their ability to cope with environments and situations that they encounter later in life. It also impacts the bond that they form with humans and other animals. So historically, like I said, we've been focused on that 3 to 14, 16 weeks of age when puppies are especially sensitive to their environment and experiences. Their brains are very plastic and they just experience things in a much more impactful way, not to say that they don't socialize later in life. Right. So this positive gradual exposure to a wide variety of sights, sounds, smells, people, places, objects, dogs, other animals, anything that they may confront later in life is known to decrease the risk of the dog developing fear, aggression, or anxiety-related behaviors later in life. However, as I spoke to earlier, this hasn't resulted in the degree of success that we want or would even expect if that was the only important aspect of the development of behavior. And so this is where Gail and her new approach and thinking on socialization enters our story. So I'm going to let her discuss more about that. And Gail, I think that this is so important as a breeder myself, as you are, the work that we put in, our buyers reap that reward. And I think that we have had some information on my other podcast, Pure Dog Talk, about the genetic component of it. But one of the great things about 
the work that we put in in those early days is that even if there is some sense of a genetic component, we can help compensate for that. And without it, we can't. Absolutely. So speak to us, dear. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Laura, that we always have to keep in mind that as breeders and eventually as owners, we're trying to bring out the best in every puppy, however that genetics played out, because we all know that genetics tend to have a life of their own. Mother Nature is a wicked mistress, as they say. (laughs) She is. She is. And I always say if dog breeding was easy, everyone would do it and we'd all have the perfect dogs. Right. But it's challenging. And so one of the things that I've noticed and all of the things Judy talked about, I think, are so important. And I feel like at least the responsible breeding community has gotten their arms around socialization and understand the importance of it. And if you log in online and Google puppy socialization, I did that a couple of weeks ago, and there were 6.8 million websites Are you on puppy serious? socialization. I'm serious. So it is not a lack of information. And we have owners who get their puppy, and they really want to do the same thing. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've seen this, Laura, but as I go around the world giving seminars, I talk to people who have well-bred well-raised, well-socialized puppies that by 15 months of age are reactive to dogs, are fearful of people. And these were puppies that were out in the four to six month class and were out at shows and doing all these things, or they were going into town and going into puppy class. And so that pushed me to go back to Scott and Fuller's work. And if you're listening and you have not read Genetics and the Social Behavior of Dogs, I can't recommend it more highly. Yes, it was written a long time ago, but But it's it's still true. I mean, nothing in it has changed. (laughs) Nothing in it has changed, and it continues to be this amazingly insightful work. So when you go back and you take a look at what Scott and Fuller are talking about and you compare it to what we think socialization is today, you'll see some really important differences. So today, if you read the definitions of socialization, they're put out by all kinds of training organizations and animal welfare organizations. They say that socialization is introducing puppies to a wide array of people, dogs, animals, sights, sounds, places, environments, buildings, you name it. Socialization is the development of social relationships. And puppies do not have social relationships with sights, sounds, buildings, things. And so what socialization has become today are checklists. Checklists of here, print this checklist off, take your puppy out, introduce it to all of these things. And no conversation about how that's done. Yep. Exactly. Because if it's done wrong, oh my If it's done wrong, you shouldn't have done it. It's worse. (laughs) Exactly. You have made it worse. And there's very little teaching about what you should be looking for in a puppy as those things happen. How do you read the puppy's body language? What do you do if the puppy becomes frightened? And one of the things I think we have to remember is that fear is a life-saving emotion. It keeps all of us alive. There's a reason I don't walk to the edge of cliffs, because it's a life 
threatening exactly. situation, especially for someone who's about <laughs> as coordinated as I am. And so we have lost what should be happening. What are we looking for as owners? What are we looking for as breeders? How do we guide the puppy, regardless of who this puppy is as an individual, whether it's a little timid or whether it's really bold? None of that matters. What we need to be paying attention to is how is the puppy taking in this situation? So that took me back to Scott and Fuller. And if you read their definitions, what they're saying about that important sensitive period from three to 16 weeks, they say that puppies are hypersensitive to social engagement and the development of social relationships. So that could be with people, dogs, livestock, cats, etc. But it's an animal, mammal of some sort, typically, or maybe a bird. And they are hypersensitive to what are called agonistic responses. Agonistic responses are negative responses. That's what puppies are very tuned to. So that's the seven-week-old puppy who meets a strange bitch for the first time and runs up and gets on her head. And she bites and it. She, <laughs> and she, maybe hopefully not bites it, but flings him aside and basically said, we don't do that right. with older ladies. That is not acceptable behavior. That puppy is hypersensitive to learn. You know, if you run up to another dog and you climb on its head, that is a bad thing. Don't do that again. They are not necessarily as hypersensitive to positive relationships. Those take longer. Those have to be built. So trust takes a while. Distrust happens much more quickly. And if you think about it, that's what keeps puppies alive because they have no social skills whatsoever. They are completely inept at reading dog body language. What is it that teaches them what is the correct response, the reaction of the other dog? And I'll tell you an interesting thing. Singletons, dogs that are not, or any, as someone, I'm just dealing with this with a singleton puppy, but some dogs don't get this, right? And what you just described about having no clue about how to interact with other dogs, for a dog who did not get that socialization, whether it's a singleton or from an improperly socialized litter, they are now, in this case, a hundred pounds of a year old dum-dum and they get bitten. They have no clue. Puppies tend, not from all dogs, but they tend to get a pass. Yes. On total social ineptness. And they will get typically again, not all dogs, but many, will correct them without harming them. Correct. By the time they're six months old, that pass is gone. Revoked. (laughs) Yep. Now the adult dog is really insulted. It would be like us comparing, say, a four-year-old to a 16-year-old. Right. We will tolerate that behavior and respond in a completely different way. So savvy socialization Let me go back on introductions, because I think introductions are really important. Introductions to sounds and sights and all of those things. So sensitive period puppies, that three to 16 weeks old, also generalize really well. And that's one of the reasons we need to do all of these introductions. Dogs as a species don't generalize really well. Humans do. If you learn how to do your math homework, 
in your bedroom. You can do it in the kitchen or you could do it at the dining room table because in a human mind, those things are the same. All of us who train dogs know that's not true. Sit in the kitchen is a very different command than sit in the living room. And it is a whole different command than sit outside. In the park. In the park. Different situation. (laughs) And people always say to me, he looked at me like he's never heard that word before. I'm like, he has never heard that word before because sit in the park (laughs) is a completely different idea than sit in the kitchen, especially when you're sitting there with a cookie in your hand. (laughs) And that cookie is a lot less value in the park because there are squirrels and people and children, et cetera. So the main reason that we want to really focus on introductions during this sensitive period is that generalizability. So say puppies meet three men, two with beards in the three to 16 week old period. They now know men are good and men with beards are good. They see women with hats on. They meet two. Now women with hats are really good. At six months, they may have to meet 12. And by two years, they may never generalize. Everyone is individual. And so we do want to cram those introductions in during that early period. Positive. (laughs) Exactly. Those negative responses on the puppy's part are really important. So fear is an emotion and sensitive period puppies are strongly tuned to their emotions. And so that emotion of fear hangs with puppies a long time. So we want to make sure that those introductions are positive for that individual puppy, not for your last puppy, not for your puppy you had when you were a kid, but for the puppy that's sitting in front of you. And so our focus in savvy socialization is what breeders and owners can do to build trust in their puppies. Four types of trust. Absolutely the most important one, trust in people. Most important people in that are their people. You, your family members, and the puppy's caregivers. So it's going to be the vet, the groomer, etc. But other people also need to be a part of this, but it's like concentric circles. Mm-hmm. Then they have to have trust in their environment. And in their environment, that includes dogs, but that's the diciest one. We got to be really careful there. But that's the sights, sounds, places, horses, cats, whatever the puppy is going to see in its lifetime. Then they have to have trust in expectations of them. Typically, it's going to be our expectations of them, but it'll be caregiver expectations, the groomer, the vet. Those are really important that the puppy knows what's expected of him and can do it, can give what we are expecting of them. Mm -hmm. So I always say that potty training is a really good example of what you manage until they can do. And if we punish them early when they can't do it, now we've breached that trust. And then the last one is trust in themselves because that's what builds resiliency, courage, And and confidence. Exactly. And that breeders can do a lot of and owners can do a lot of. So our program is built around how do we build those four trusts in puppies, starting with people, starting with us, 
and then introducing them to the world while always paying attention to their reaction to what is happening. If they are afraid, we should avoid doing two things. We shouldn't keep pushing them and we shouldn't take over. Because if we take over, now the puppy doesn't trust himself. The only way he can be strong is when you are there. So now we get separation anxiety. We get aggression in yards and things like that. I think that what that to me is when I tell people, don't goo-goo that puppy. Yep. If it just reacts to something, hush, be quiet, and let the puppy figure it out itself. Exactly. And breathe. Just breathe. Yes. And don't be embarrassed. The other aspect of savvy socialization is it goes beyond 16 weeks. So we know that the juvenile period, which is from 16 weeks until the puppy becomes an adolescent, which is breed specific, and adolescents are really important, informative times in a puppy's life. So in the juvenile period, their brain starts consolidating. It changes a lot. It is less sensitive to agonistic behavior. That's when they can really get themselves in trouble. (laughs) And then adolescence, this is where true fears come out. Fears and aggression. So we'll get location aggression naturally in adolescent dogs. Breed specific, you know, most Labradors aren't going to give you a lot of that, but German Shepherds, Malinois, a lot of those breeds They've been bred to do that for years. So if we're not prepared in the adolescent period to continue to clarify for them what appropriate behavior is, now we get fence fighting. Now we get dogs that are aggressive at home. Now we get car aggression, crate aggression, things like that. We get location sensitivity where puppies become hyper attached to their home turf and are less comfortable in the rest of the world. It's a really natural process. We have to be prepared for it. And then the ever-present fear imprint periods, which I find people are always surprised. I did all this socialization. My puppy was a rock star. And at 12 months, suddenly it's afraid. Yep, that's what happens. Yep, it's a dog. Living it. (laughs) (laughs) Love those teenagers. Oh, my God. Both humans and canines. But it's really natural. And if we don't have the right reaction, now we get those negative emotions in the puppy. And things can imprint for a really long time. So. That's basically the the underlying philosophy in providing not necessarily a completely new perspective on socialization, but perhaps an expanded, on the one hand, we're going to socialize our puppies and develop our puppies through 15 to 18 months of age until they are adults. See, I think that's really fabulous, Gail, because on Pure Dog Talk, we talked about Avidog and some of the very baby steps. So the newborns and those things that really blew my mind. And I'm a dog breeder since I was seven with my family. So those were really great pieces of information and added to my knowledge. And this to me takes that and just, as you say, expands it out to the dog owner instead of just the dog breeder, gives them the same type of structured ideas and ways to manage that people just don't have. And I think helping people learn is oftentimes even more important than helping dogs learn. Oh, I so agree. I mean, the the poor dogs. Judy's raising her hand. How how do they survive us, really? (laughs) Well, 
because I just wanted to say that's a really, really interesting point and something that I think we need to point out because we always talk about what breeders can do, what breeders can do. Well, breeders can care for the genetic and the epigenetic and the maternal stress and the neonatal care. And even that first eight weeks, but that socialization period is another eight weeks, that really sensitive period and up to a year and a half of age. So the breeder and the owner have to partner in making this dog turn out well, have the behavioral development the way that we want it to go. And I think it's really, really important that breeder can play a good role in this, but the puppy buyers have to know that it's not the breeder's fault. Like they also have to play a huge role in making sure these dogs turn out well. So I think that that's something that we really need to point out and Mm -hmm. just make it more of a partnership so that we get the dogs where they want to be. And, you know, breeders need to support their buyers and help them with this because it is hard. And we all know that 12 to 18 months is when dogs are most likely to get relinquished too because of these behavior problems. Changing expectations of the puppy buyers to let them know that this is a long process to get your lassie. (laughs) I know Gail will say the same thing. I tell all of my puppy buyers, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. I'll help you. I'll guide you. I'll give you direction. But after it leaves my property, now it's on you. And the dog didn't come out fully formed and perfectly behaved. You have a role in this and it is a partnership, as Judy said, with the breeder, with the puppy, with the owner. We're all kind of a team here. Mm -hmm. And that poor puppy can get some pretty heavy duty expectations put on it without some of the training that you're talking about here with the Savvy Socialization Gale. And if you're the owner and you think, oh my gosh, my puppy has to meet 15 new dogs before he's a year of age, and there's no real screening of those dogs, it's a recipe for reactivity. It is an absolute recipe for creating reactive dogs. And I suspect you all will agree with me that dog parks are a huge nightmare. They play a huge (laughs) role in this reactivity because no one's looking at the puppy, at the dog. Everyone's talking to their friends or they're on their phone and they're not saying, I don't think my puppy's feeling very good here. We're going to take a step outside. Or they do the buck up buster and they, oh, I think he's having fun and, you know, he's bolting with Mm -hmm. his ears pinned back, learning to read your puppy and seeing this as your job. It would be like you would not take your six-year-old child to a, well, I don't know that you would, but (laughs) take your six-year-old child to the playground and walk away and just put it out there with a bunch of preteens or teens. It's just not what you would do. No. So we need to put that amount of care and attention and real attention on what's happening with the puppy. Put our emotions to the side so that if we're embarrassed because our puppy's afraid or our puppy's barking, we got to let that go. Yep. That's just not something that you can put on a puppy and have it come out the other end in good shape. And to your point too about saying it's the individual puppy, like we have to let them be individuals because they're not all going to be super gregarious and they're not all going to want to be the life of the party at the dog park. I mean, some dogs just don't really like that kind of rough and tumble and crazy play. And we have to respect that and let them be who they are. Some of us are wallflowers, man. I'm just saying. (laughs) I promise you, if I took my golden retrievers to the dog park, they would stand at the gate and look at me like I had lost my mind. Yes. Yes. (laughs) If I took my wire hair pointers to the dog park, they would terrorize every other dog. It's responsibility, right? And I think it is changing the conversation. This is one of the things we have said about the good dog pod from the beginning. We're changing the conversation. 
And so the savvy socialization allows us to change the conversation and help people empower people to learn how to be excellent pet owners. Yep. And being excellent pet owners is what gives you an excellent pet. Yep. It also reduces how much you need to do. Yes. When you think about it, I mean, people are out there just hauling their puppies everywhere. And I keep saying it's the quality of those experiences and the trust that you are building as you introduce that puppy to the world. That's, it's not that he has to meet 15 horses. He needs to have a really good experience with you and that one horse. Yes. Or maybe two. But it's less quantity. It's less, let's check all of these blocks. And it's more, let's make each of those experiences a trust-building experience for that puppy. Absolutely. That's what will give us better dogs. Because even that timid dog, let's say you're not the life of the party, but you're with your owner. And your owner says, hey, bud, it's safe. We're in this together. We're good. That is what's going to make a dog say, I'm good. Yep. Mm -hmm. But if that owner has breached that trust, now things can be really difficult for the dog. And now it has to do its own thing, which is where fear biting and aggression and things like that come in. And again, I believe it goes back to remembering that you and the dog, the dog reads your behavior. And I think this is so important. So important. Dogs need a leader. They need someone to understand, to follow, to trust. And if your reaction to, oh, there was just a guy target practicing and a bunch of gunshots, if your reaction to that is, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? The dog's going to be like, okay, that's clearly very scary because she just flipped out. Mm -hmm. She's the boss. (laughs) Right. And she's the boss. (laughs) And so our leadership, our role modeling, for our dogs is so important from breeder babydom on through ownerdom. And it's about that piece of the trust you're talking about. And it's the part about how they have that experience. All of that goes back to the owner. Yeah. That goes back to Yeah. Us. And that's the quality and the strength of that human animal bond. You want them to look to you when they get nervous or upset about something, they check in you tell them it's okay. And they go on with their life. I mean, that's ultimately what we want them to do. Right. I always say we have to be the grown up in the relationship. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that can be hard, but we have to be the grown up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so very much for sharing your information, for sharing your knowledge. I think this is incredibly valuable. Listeners, we will have links to the Savvy Socialization from Avidog and the Good Dog University and lots of other information for you in our show notes. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Judy. Thank you.